You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil, and today I am joined by one of my friends, Jason Ori, and I am so excited about this conversation because Jason has been a pastor to me from afar, has taught me a lot, and I'm so excited that we have an opportunity to share this conversation with all of you this morning. Now, before we jump into that conversation, I do want to talk about spiritual direction, which is this this new program that we are offering here at Rua Space, where we dig into where God may be speaking in your life. And in this podcast episode today, we talk about a contemplative life and the fact that God is still speaking. And it's about opening our life to hear that voice, opening our life to hear and see and feel the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so in spiritual direction, we look into your story, we discuss spiritual disciplines and formation and talk about God's voice in your life past, present, and future. So if that's something that's interesting to you, you can find a link in the description below. We can set up a free call to talk about spiritual direction. And then as well, friends, we are now just past our 200th episode looking to go on to 200 more, and we couldn't do it without you. We're so grateful for your listening and your support. And if you've been blessed by this ministry, if you've enjoyed these episodes, we would love if you would consider joining us over on Patreon, where for just a few dollars a month, you can help support the ministry while gaining some access to some really cool exclusive content, live events, series, guided practices, and more. So friends, thank you so much for being with us here today. I'm so excited about this episode. Here is my conversation with Jason Randall Ori. Jason, welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. I've known you for a little while now. We talk uh, maybe not every day, but on many days. And so I'm excited to sort of bring our audience into this ongoing conversation. Yeah. Has it been maybe eight months since we've been talking? Yeah. Just around there, I think. Yeah. I met Richard Lewis um, about a year ago, and then he was on your podcast and he introduced me to you and he's been on like 50 or 60 podcasts promoting a book of his. <laughs> and I got, I met you through him and two other people. And then that was it for me. And, and like, he's gone on and done tons and tons of promotion for his book. At the time I was writing a book, but I'm just a really kind of know a few people kind of person. And I'm not, you know, trying to really put myself out there like he is. Well, he, his book was very good, and I'm glad more people are experiencing it. But, man, you've got a lot of things to say, too. So we've got to work on, <laughs> on getting your yeah. things expanded out there. So share with people a little bit about who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, man, I feel like there's so much I could share. But um, basically, my main gig right now, as far as what you could call ministry or mission, is um, I do a lot of things under the moniker, the modern contemplative or the construction monk. Basically, I do a podcast every week. That's my staple. Every week I release a podcast. That's called the construction monk. I write books. Uh, my, my website is www.moderncontemplative.com. And every, you know, most everything is available there in podcasts. I do videos through Jay Randall Ori. Uh, but basically everything is contemplative, you know, everything I I all my writings, my thinking, my podcast, it's all contemplative. Uh, focused. 
And you have an epic beard, which people can't see, but I mean, it is, it is, it is the one of those beards that the rest of us wish God had gifted us the ability to grow. The funny thing is I haven't been able to, my beard hasn't fully come in until I was about, well, until I started receding, I started losing hair up top <laughs> and started getting hair um, down, but I was like, that's fine. And so now I can actually grow a decent beard. So I, I love but- it. That's awesome. And we've both got the gray going on, which I know before oh, yeah. we started recording, we talked about his wisdom. And so we'll, we'll go with that, the positive yeah. spin on the gray. So, so when you use the word contemplative, can you sort of take people into what you mean by that? Because it is one of these words that we use a lot and mm-hmm. it has different sort of nuances to it, depending on who we're talking right. to. So what does being a contemplative mean to you? Well, I'll back up a bit. I've heard it explained this way. The word contemplative kind of formed in the third century with the Desert Fathers. And what they were really trying to do is create a distinction between institutional Christianity and more mystical Christianity. And as Christianity was being co-opted by Rome and becoming more an empire religion, these these mystics, these Christian mystics went out into the Egyptian desert and they were like, well, we're, we're Christians, but, and they're Christians, but we're a different kind of Christian. And so the word contemplation really first kind of formed to distinguish a mystical Christian from an, a more, you could say, mm, religious Christian in the third, fourth century. But the word really has come to refer, I think, mostly to, to a way of praying in communion with God. And so it's kind of funny God told me directly about five years ago, I was a contemplative. And I was like, this is awesome. And then I was like, but what is it? (laughs) I I just read New Seeds of Contemplation by Thomas Merton. And I was like, it was hitting me in the gut. It was so good. It's so heavy. And God was like, you're a contemplative. You're like, oh, by the way, you're a contemplative. And I was like, that's awesome. And then the last five years, I've been like, really learning it. Like God teaching me. And I've been, I feel like I'm still learning what a contemplative is. But basically, someone who really seeks um, experiential relationship with God is a contemplative. And that's like, when God called me a contemplative, I was like, yeah, this is what I've been becoming my whole life. When I was nine, I was baptized. I felt the Holy Spirit. Then I, I grew up in a church that was more intellectual, and I lost it, right? I lost that spirit connection, that spirit sense. But, my, but I would say the, the next, from nine to about 20, I wanted it back, right? I was like go, living in this church that was highly intellectual. I would say sterile is a good word. I'm not trying to be critical, but like, and I was like, where's the Holy Spirit? And then in my 20s, I had a spiritual awakening, which was kind of a, a, a rebirth of a hunger for the Spirit and for God. And then from 20 to, I would say from 20 to 42 was me earnestly seeking that. 42, I had a breakdown, which kind of kickstarted a deeper walking with God. And so the last seven years, it's been like a lot more intense uh, learning, contemplation and communion with God. So that's that's a kind of a nutshell of my of my last 48 years of life, (laughs) which is my whole life right now. So does that kind of that make sense? Yeah, well, and I think, you know, in the way you're describing it with this experiential component, you know, it also makes me think of the of, um, of a mystic. And I think you may have said that as well, sort of a mystical Christianity. And to me, a mystic then is someone who has real experiences of God 
on a mm-hmm. daily basis or, or at least a consistent yeah. basis. And when we think of mystical today, we often think of like uh, woo-woo, right? That's kind of the word that, yeah. I, would, that I would use as kind of uh-huh. out there esoteric, but it's actually right. grounded deeply in flesh and blood in real mm-hmm. experience. It's not some mm-hmm. ethereal out there, but real connection. I think one of the challenges when I'm talking to mainstream Christians, and I mentioned being a contemplative or a Christian mystic, um, then they're like, oh, you just you just go with your feelings. And I'm like, I try to really challenge people and say, look, there's a rich, long tradition, and there's a lot of theology built around contemplation. You just haven't heard of it because you're a mainstream evangelical Christian, which is, that's only been a thing for 200 years. And so like, I'm also a big history buff. I'm a big church history buff. So when a mainstream Christian says you're weird and non-traditional, I'm like, well, actually my Christian tradition goes back to the third century and yours goes back to the 18th. (laughs) So let's talk, if we're going to talk orthodoxy and tradition, I've got you for for about 1500 years. I'm, I'm, you know, I've got 1500 years more than you, (laughs) not, not trying to compare. Well, and I would go back even farther because I don't remember if the passage, if it's about Jacob or Isaac, I think it's Isaac, but Mm -hmm. it says he went out into a field to meditate. Right. And, and then Jacob wrestles with this God, man, angel, something, and has this, this view of a ladder going up to heaven. Paul is like thrown from his horse and blinded and he meets Jesus and Ezekiel right. the, in the old Testament has this vision of God with wheels. And it's like, wait a minute, actually, if you, if you look throughout the Bible, they seem a lot more mystical than just logical um, mm-hmm. what we can see, you know, uh, from an yeah. objective scientific, sure. I guess, point of view. Yeah, you know, if you go into the history of Christianity, which again, this is, I have my master's in humanities and I specifically studied church culture and history, right? The middle ages. And I studied the surrounding, I mean, you didn't have secular culture in the middle ages. So it was, all history was church history, but like what you have at the same time, the church is being developed really from the third century when it was, when it really got money and influence, right? From the third century to now, You've had Greek intellectualism growing at the same time as a part of Western culture. So you have the church and culture generally moving more and more intellectual, less and less mystical over the last uh, 1800 years, right? So it's no coincidence that we have a highly intellectual Christianity today. But when you read the Bible, it's mystical all over the place. But when an intellectual mainstream evangelical Christian reads a mystical Bible, they read it intellectually. They mm-hmm. read those stories about Jacob, you know, experiencing God at Bethel. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. But if you said, hey, you know what? I had a vision just like that today. They'd be like, you're crazy. Uh, <laughs> and you're weird and not out of my church, buddy. And you're like, so Jacob could have the visions and Jesus and Paul, but not us. And that's pretty much what mainstream Christianity is today. <laughs> or the book of Revelation, which is essentially one uh-huh. giant vision. Yes. Um, but I mean, even Jesus, right? It, it talks about, essentially, it, it's vital to me, the fact that he doesn't actually begin his ministry, really, until he receives the Holy Spirit. And it talks yes. about the Spirit led him out into the wilderness, right? Or I'm fascinated by the story of Philip and the eunuch, where it tells yep. him to, the Spirit tells him, or an angel or messenger, something tells him to walk down a road. 
And the spirit tells him to go stand by a chariot. Well, that's not just like reading your Bible and quoting. Yeah, you know, um, Habakkuk 3.14 told me to go stand by this chariot. No, he had some sort of other experience. And of course, we're not saying the Bible is not important. It does help sort of guide us and it helps sort of, um, you know, lead us to love and truth within these experiences. It's not that there's no guardrails whatsoever, but scripturally, man, all these people were having these experiences. And the, one of the difficult parts that I've seen is it doesn't tell us exactly what the experience always was or why or how. Yes. And that to me leaves it a little open. The how is the biggest, I think the biggest thing is how do we experience God? And the Bible doesn't tell us, but Jesus set up a model for learning that and we don't follow it. It's called discipleship. It's relational. Like Jesus really, Jesus never wrote a, a thing down, first of all. And he, I think that was intentional. But basically, he's like, if you want to learn to be in relationship with God, you learn it from other people who are in relationship because it's, it's about relationship. And so it's learned relationally, right? So discipleship mm. is the model. You cannot learn relationship in, from a textbook, from a text, right? So that's good. The other cool thing historically is like, for most of the history of humanity, we've been an oral tradition culture. A textual tradition culture has effervesced since the Gutenberg press, right? And so now it's flip-flopped where we really value and validate text, but it was the opposite. And of course, so Jesus model, which is still works, but like, okay, so if you think about conveying information, the least helpful is actually text. Then the next helpful is audio. So like, People are listening to this podcast. They're going to hear my voice. They're going to hear the inflection, the intention versus a text. You can't hear any of that. But the next best would be video. That's the, that's the third. And there's a fourth. That fourth best is face to face. When you're in a room with somebody, there's things you get. You can get no other way. There's there's a nuance of micro expressions. And and so like Jesus, when Jesus put, puts forth discipleship, he's really saying there's nothing like being in the room with the person to learn relationship. Mm. And when you start, the further you draw back from that face-to-face, the less data gets filtered or gets filtered or, or transmitted, right? But today we're just like, read your Bible and follow God. And you know, you go to church to hear your pastor, great. But mostly it's textually driven and, and intellectually and informationally driven, you know, informationally driven Christianity, but it, you, you really can't, or it's hard to translate relationship through that method. So yeah. that's, well, that, that's just, go ahead. No, that's why the disciples had to leave their jobs and actually follow Jesus, right? Actually yeah. stick with yeah. him and everything he did. You know, one thing you said during one of our conversations, I, or maybe it was in your book, I forget which one or both. And I've just been quoting it left and right now and stealing it. And sometimes I cite you, sometimes I don't, I'll just claim it as my own. I don't care. But That's fine. Um, <laughs> it comes from but, Jesus. That's yeah, that's right. Well, exactly. And what you pointed out was, you know, when Jesus was telling his disciples that he was leaving, he didn't say, I'm leaving you the Bible. Like, as you said, he didn't write anything down, with, which actually he did write something down, um, but it was in dirt, right? And we have no idea <laughs> yes. what it was. And yes. it, it has long since been erased by history, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but no, just kidding. But, you know, he, he didn't leave us the Bible and say, here's everything you need. Just read and study this. In fact, the New Testament hadn't even been written yet. So that no. wasn't even like a thing. What he said was, I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will teach you and guide you. And as many times as we all have maybe read that passage or heard that passage, that's just like one of those 
boom, mind blown moments when you said that. I'm like, yes, exactly. Like that is the center of it. Yeah, man, that, that was my spiritual awakening. In my, tw- my early 20s, I'm attending a conservative evangelical church. It's actually Church of Christ. It was, it's called the Stone Campbell Movement. It was the uh, Restoration Movement, 1800s type church re- reform and revival movement. They were trying to get back to the primitive gospel. But I'm going to this church, right? I'm reading my Bible. I'm, I, this is the cool thing is I'm reading my Bible, right? I'm read, I've, I committed to read my Bible in the 10th grade every day. And I, and I had been reading my Bible over and over and over. At this time, I'd probably read it 20, 30 times. I'm reading my Bible. I'm reading the Gospels. The Holy Spirit is all over the place. But I'm going to church and I'm like, where's the Holy Spirit? And I got this hankering, this itch. And I sat down and I wrote down every single verse, every single reference to the Holy Spirit. I wrote it down by hand, pen and paper. I wrote, it took me a week. I write it down in this tablet. End of the week, I'm done. I read back through the whole thing in like two hours. And I just had this epiphany. I was like, holy cow, the Holy Spirit is missing in my Christianity and my church. Now, you know, that sounds a little critical and I didn't know people's hearts, but I did not see the spirit emphasized at all. The Holy Spirit is like the third wheel in most churches. He's like, what do we do with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, off in a corner. We, we like Jesus. We like God and we like the Bible. And then the Holy Spirit's almost like the fourth part of the Trinity. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Well, and, and just to interrupt you there, because I yeah. don't want people to mishear what you're saying. Um, it's not that, like you said, I like you. It's not that the Holy Spirit wasn't there, but the Holy yeah. Spirit was maybe being ignored. So it's not saying, hey, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. But Correct. if we don't make the space to intentionally connect, it's like we're missing yeah. it. So so keep going. Well, you totally like your podcast is called Rua Space, right? I love that you said making space. You know, I think. Um, so well, I had my spiritual awakening, it was just, it was the realization, and I, I was a revelation that I was not in relationship with God, and that this is why I had the Holy Spirit, and I was like, well, I have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have me, and I need to get to know God, and like everything I read in the Bible was, you can know God, you can know God experientially, intimately, deeply, and yet I was like, I have no idea how to know God, how do I hear God? The, the scripture, you know, Isaiah says the spirit will be a voice behind you in the way saying this is the way you should go. There's this deeply intimate daily moment to moment picture of how God can relate to us. And yet my church hadn't from my perspective. Well, my church wasn't teaching me that maybe people in my church had that and weren't. I didn't know them, but I was like, this is this is what the Bible says. I want this. I want this Holy Spirit intimacy thing, this God intimacy thing. That was the beginning of my really searching for that. And I didn't have anything in my church or church tradition to guide me. So I had to really start searching other places. Yeah. Well, so what was your first step? How did you sort of begin this walk of contemplation to become a contemplative. What did, what did you well, do? So you wrote down all those verses, yeah. you read them, you sort mm-hmm. of internalized them, then what? Well, to be clear, I mean, where I started was the Bible, which I think is so, it's so cool. So, and I kept, yeah, I love read, the Bible too. Absolutely. I but, you know. I've, I've read the Bible over a hundred times at this point. Um, so I've always read the Bible and prayer. I've always talked with God as if he could hear me. I just couldn't hear him. So really after that, I, God led me to books. There, I did not have flesh and blood, 
flesh and blood, sorry, spiritual mentors, which was really what I craved. I wanted an older male because I didn't have a great relationship with my dad, who was a pastor. But so I really wanted an older male who could lead me. But I didn't find that. So books. And one of the first authors I started reading was Watchman Nee. Uh, he's actually uh, Chinese, a great missionary. He was a, what would you call that? Uh, um, indigenous missionary. There's another word for that. But, you know, he wasn't from the United States going to China. He was, I think he was um, Christianized by American missionaries. And then he became a church planter, basically. Then he was in mm-hmm. prison the last 30 years of his life, wrote a lot of books in <laughs> those 30 years. He really had an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of his books was called The Spiritual Man. You know, just everything he wrote was like, hey, you can know God. You know, this is how God is. This is what it's like to walk with God. This is what it's like. You know, he would share stories like God told me to do this and go here. And I did. And this is what happened. And so I started reading Watchman Nee and just kind of really started eating up three, four, five, six of his books. Uh, so books, I'm a voracious reader. Uh, books were the, you know, the way that I got to be discipled by flesh and blood people even though it was through their books. So Nee was one of the first people. Yeah, absolutely. So what practices did they sort of guide you into? And, and, and I'm going to complicate that question. And mm-hmm. so we'll sort of thread things together here. Earlier in our conversation, you said, God told me I'm a contemplative. So mm-hmm. at some point you began, as you said, you believed God heard what you were saying. You were reading your Bible. Now you've read it over a hundred times. But then you heard God speak to you. So mm-hmm. what practices did you begin to engage? What shifted? And right. how did you begin to hear God's voice? I always wrestle with the question of practices. I teach practices. Uh, practices are good, but I'm an ADD kid. So um, my practices have kind of been, I would say, minimal. I'm not a hyper-disciplined person when it comes to like, I'm going to sit still, read my Bible, pray. I, I do walking prayers. I, okay, so one of my practices what is, was walking prayer, typically in the woods. I started when I was about 12 years old. I was depressed, struggling with anxiety. I started walking and praying, talking to God. I felt like God was beside me. So that would be one of my practices, scripture reading, one of my practices. Um but I really, I, I really identify with Brother Lawrence. He's the author of Practicing the Presence of God. Like, he did not have a lot of intense practices. He wasn't very disciplined. In fact, he worked in a monastery. He wasn't a monk. He was kind of an accidental monk. But he learned how to be in the presence of God as he worked, as he walked. And so, like, as far as hearing God, I, I would say I talked to God a lot. I, be, I got the idea I could hear God. I began to expect and ask for it. And it just started happening. And it's just like, I I felt the Holy Spirit at age nine, right? So I had some experience there way, way back. But it's really hard to describe when God speaks, when you sense God's presence. I am very intuitive. I'm hyper. I would say I'm hyper intuitive, hypersensitive, hyper empathic. So that helps. But man, it's just like, I remember like, if I went back and thought in my 20s and 30s, the moments God spoke clearly, it was like loud. It was like thunder and lightning. Now I hear God speak. It's soft and quiet. But at first, it had to be pretty stark, like, I, like almost like just fireworks, right? Because I just wasn't used to it. If God would have whispered to me in those times when I wasn't quite adept at it, 
I probably wouldn't have heard. So it's, 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 it's a mystery hearing God. Like I could just spend 10 hours telling you and you probably go walk away going, huh? I, I didn't get anything. <laughs> like, I don't know. I didn't, I still don't know how to do it. That's just the way it is. You start to experience it. I think you have to seek it, be in scripture. Cause it, scripture is full of people who heard God. These are the stories, right? People who heard God wrote about it. That's the Bible. That's, that's helpful. Try to get around modern people who heard God. There's still, you know, me is dead, but he's there. There's a lot of people have written books. Um, gosh, what was the German mission? He ran an orphanage. I can't remember his name, but he wrote a book. Like he would just ask God to provide and God would, he would ask, actually pray specific amounts. God, I need $500 and 72 cents. And it would show up. I wish I could remember, but like reading those stories, like that taught me, but you, you just have to begin to open yourself to it. And then God kind of has to shout at first. And you're like, well, yeah, I heard that one. And then weeks or months go by, you know, and then you, it, that's the way it works. You, it's very sporadic at first. God probably tries about 50 times before you finally get it. And then you're like, oh, I heard that. That now you start to build an inventory of experience. And then God begins to refine and, and you learn how to get quiet, to hear a softer voice. So, okay, I'll, I'll pause for a second there. No, that's great. You know, there was clearly, though, a perspective shift or an expectation shift where maybe you weren't engaging specific practices of, you know, we talked about Richard Lewis, you know, sits usually twice, at least once, if not twice Mm -hmm. a day for 20 minutes in centering prayer. And I I think those practices help sort of train us to listen well and help us to become present. But ultimately, I sometimes connect with and hear from God in those spaces. But what I think they really do is help us get to the point that you're talking about, because right. it's not as if God only speaks that. And, and, and Richard Lewis doesn't say this. So don't hear right. what I'm saying. That I'm quite Richard, but it's not yeah. like God only speaks to him in those two 20 minute sits, right? right? Those two 20 minute sits open him and prepare him to hear right. God with the other 23 hours and 20 minutes of the day. Right. So that mm-hmm. it is that practicing presence, as you spoke about, there's a listening posture to see the burning bushes. Right. And I mean, I yeah. wonder if this is why scripture doesn't tell us exactly how. Um, You know, I remember reading N.T. Wright's biography of Paul and the way Paul had some of these experiences. And you could, uh, to me at least, and this isn't a critique of N.T. Wright, I think it's a beautiful book. He, He seemed to be threading and circling and never just gave us the, hey, here's how Paul did it, so go and do it. Because you can't, there is no doing that. It's trying to explain an experience and I mean, it's sort of like loving a spouse or a child, right? You can't write a book on here's what it here's what it feels like and here's how you do it. You have to sort of have been in a relationship where someone hurt you to to understand what it means to forgive, right? Or when someone's loved you fully to understand. And I think this is kind of the same way. It, it's it's an opening to it and being intentionally aware, and then it almost like just starts to happen. Yeah, I think this is what we call faith. Yeah, I like the word you use, posturing or opening ourselves. It's like, I think maybe 90% of the battle is expectation, right? I would say of everything I did or didn't do well, I expected to hear God. I believed that and I maintained that belief over a long period. And 
like I, like you pointed out there, you know, the Bible doesn't really offer us a lot of practices. It, we see people practicing, right? Daniel had his hour of prayer. But like, I think there's a reason it that it doesn't set forth formulas for practices. It tries to set an expectation. And I think, man, you know, getting to know God, God is tailors himself so much to each of us. And so I've had to figure out what works for me when it comes to this journey of posturing and putting myself in a position to hear God more and helping cultivate a deeper expectation. I mean, it, just a week ago, uh, God gave me this huge epiphany about another way that he can relate and teach and work in my life. And it's just like, and I, but the thing was, I wasn't receptive to that idea. It had to do more with my physical health and sickness and that was just teaching me something. But what I realized when God revealed this, he's like, hey, you know, I can do this. And I was like, you know what? Until that moment, I didn't believe you could. And so my expectation, I don't think we realize we can call that faith, but I don't think we realize how much faith affects what we allow God to do. And so I think most of the battle is saying, you know what? I believe God can do that. You know what? It didn't happen today. It didn't happen this year. It's taken me two, three years. I'm going to continue to believe. I'm not going to give up. I think it's a long haul. It's a long game, this getting to know God thing. But if you maintain an expectation over a long period, that more than anything will get you there. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of the word consent. And that's mm -hmm. a word used often in, in centering prayer that right. the, yeah. the sacred word or whatever we choose is showing our intention, our, our consent to hear yeah. from God. And that seems to be a lot of what you're saying here is the expectation is almost the giving of the consent. And I think, you know, I think this is what Teresa Vavilo is getting at in her book on the, um, the interior castle. And she mm -hmm. talks about being like wax yes. that, yeah. you know, we can't make the King stamp stamp us, um, right. but wax is moldable so that it is flexible, it is open to being shaped and that consent to being open to being shaped uh, that appears to be <laughs> a lot of the battle. So, so my question then for you is, is, is for someone on this journey who is saying, I want that, like, I want to hear God's voice. How do I know that, that mm -hmm. I'm hearing God's voice now? So what, what sort of filters do you have? What sort of connection to say, yeah, that's God's voice. Oh, that's not, oh, maybe that is, uh, how do you work through that? That's a good question. And I wrestle with that because I, tr I teach contemplation. I'm a spiritual director. So I want to be able to tell people, like, here's how you do it. Here's the five-step easy. <laughs> no, um, there's two aspects. I want to get, I'll get to the one later, and that's silence. You know, we've mentioned Richard Lewis, his book, uh, Silent Prayer. Um, contemplation is a lot about interior silence. But the first thing I would say, anyone trying to learn how to hear God, you have to practice. You have to trust. You have to step out. So I mean, I can remember periods of learning specific ways to hear God where I just had to test it out. And what that meant was like, OK, I think God's telling me to go up to this person and pray for them. And I think and I, there were sometimes some specific like I think this person's struggling with depression. I can I get this sense. And so I wasn't sure. But what could I do in that situation? Oh, I could pray more and then wait for God to tell me for sure. And that never happens in my experience. But oh, I could go and test it. It's awkward, but like pushing through those barriers, actually being willing to look like an idiot and, uh, and go and say, hey, I feel like you're struggling with depression right now or something is really weighing on you. Are you doing OK? 
can I pray for you? And then finding out what happens. And maybe they're like, no, I'm fine. And you're like, okay, maybe I was wrong. Or, but it's like, you've got to be a mad scientist and you've got to test mm. and test and test. And, you know, uh, we fail forward. I think before you learn how to do something well, you've got to do it really bad. <laughs> That's just life, right? <laughs> like I do construction. I, you know, just yesterday I took someone's front door out. It was a door with a key light. There was literally a eight foot, okay, seven foot by four foot hole in this person's house that I put there, right? <laughs> now, if I had never done that before and I didn't know what I was doing, that would be crazy, but I've learned to do this. I have yeah. a confidence because I've, you know, I didn't start out tearing a door out from someone's house. I started mm-hmm. out working on my, I, on my house, but it was like, there's a slow process to learn things. Yes. And eventually you start out little, little, and God really faithful in the little things, you know, like God rarely expects you to jump off cliffs in the beginning. He's like, it's baby steps, buddy. (laughs) You know, God's like, Hey, just go like pray for that person, small things, you know, first, but like, you got to test it and you got to be willing to try and fail a million times. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right because you're learning to recognize the voice, right? Like you would know Mm -hmm. the voice of your child or spouse or a friend when they call, or, you know, you hear them talking outside, you know, the voice from experience. And it's the same thing in real life relationship, right? We, we learn what our loved ones like and don't like. And, and I would also say, you know, and I think this is probably something that is, is, subconscious that you're probably doing is, is this loving to God and loving to others, right? So we, scripture can sort of give us the guardrails of, is this from God or not? Is this God's Mm -hmm. voice? Well, is it calling you to love and serve somebody or hurt somebody, right? Like, like one is clearly in line. And I think sometimes we shrink God down to say, well, I don't know if it's door A or door B. And it's like, well, are both doors loving and, and honoring to God, then just walk right. forward and don't, 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 don't hold back, think and wait. But as you said, test it out. And it seems to me, you know, a practice like Lexio Divina, I love because sitting with scripture and learning how God brings up a verse or a phrase, the feeling you have in your mind or stomach, mm-hmm. you know, what it means to your life is a great testing ground, as you said, to learn that voice. But I think that's a beautiful freeing invitation that you're offering to say, listen for God's voice and then act on it and act on it, of course, only in ways that bring glory to God, but you'll sort of learn within that. And, and then you can look back and say, Mm -hmm. well, when I felt that it it turned out to be right. And when I felt this, it didn't. And and Mm -hmm. you sort of learn to navigate that just like you did with putting in a door. I think that's absolutely brilliant. (laughs) Well, that's why I'm the construction monk because (laughs) <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a finished carpenter. I do home remodeling. So I, I, I like to think I have a more earthy approach towards mysticism, practical, you know, um, gosh, you know what the first, the first way I learned to learn to hear God was reading scripture. I read in scripture that I would, could hear God. And so I started inviting God to, to speak to me through scripture, but like, I get this a lot from cons- conservative or mainstream Christians. When I start talking about experience, you know, they get, they just get really defensive one, but the, the real, the accusation I hear is like, oh, you just go with your feelings and you're not biblical. You're not, or, or you're not theological. You're not orthodox. And I'm like, far from it. It's like, I like that you pointed out, we don't just try to feel our way through this 
knowing God. This is why I'm a Christian mystic. I'm not a mystic. I'm a Christian mystic, which means I balance my experience with with God or of God with scripture and with tradition. And this is, I I think Calvin has a four, a four component um, kind of concept of, of the Christian life, but Richard Rohr has a three, he calls it the three wheel tricycle, but experience, scripture and tradition all work together. If, if you're a a mystic and you're throwing scripture out or tradition, I don't think you're going to, it's like trying to drive a car without a road. Like, you know, scripture is like the, I don't know, scripture is like the road. Maybe traditions like the guardrails, God's the destination. And maybe the holy spirit's the car I don't know, but anyway like you can't <laughs> Jesus just take the in, wheel. yeah you can't just jump into experiencing the holy spirit without a road a map right you're going to drive in circles yeah. so like i'm very theological very biblical um if if i'm of course if i'm hearing god that was where i started i started with the bible and i read the bible and i read and i read and i read and i still read and then i've studied christian tradition history i'm very ecumenical which means i just i've really delved into a lot of Christian traditions. I, I, there's a huge ocean of truth, scripture, tradition, and then there's a beauty of experiencing God and they're, they're, they're the same ocean, you know? So we don't throw the Bible out. We don't throw tradition out and we don't throw experience out. But what we have is a church that's predominantly thrown experience out. Right. And they've relied heavily. We're very comfortable with scripture. It's black and white. We're very almost as comfortable with tradition, our own tradition. Usually, when you start talking about experience, it's like uh, that's crazy, and uh, don't talk to me about that. But, but that, and that's but that's what kills me because the whole thing is meant to be played out in our experiences, and this is why I think this is why I think a lot of people I don't hear the voice of God, I don't know the will of God because we're not teaching people that it matters for your real life experience. We're teaching people that it's black and white, but it's external to you. It's the mm-hmm. Bible which is out there. It's tradition which is yeah. out there. Yeah. But all yeah. of it is meant to play out in your specific circumstances and it's meant to be real. And if it's not, that's mm-hmm. like the most important part, you know, and you mentioned Richard Rohr and I, I like, you know, he used this term divine dance, which he didn't yeah. come up with, but um, it's the idea of the father, son, and Holy spirit within their relationships of give and love. They're like dancing together and it's a mystery. And then we mm-hmm. are invited into that. And I yeah. think the thing about that is that can be scary because we're not going to have all the answers in that place. And that's mm-hmm. the thing about when you start getting into Christian mysticism or contemplation, you know, this is a real space and it's rooted, as you said, in scripture and in tradition and good theology and all of that, but it's not a space of having all the answers. You have to dance a little bit. And in dancing, you got to let your partner do their thing a little bit. And you may not always know where it's going. There's a give, there's a take, there's an exploration and that can be uncomfortable, but it can also be freeing because it's a much wider world and a much wider experience than maybe we've been taught. Yeah, I can tell you the leading aspect of my journey to know God has been suffering and surrender. And if you're running from suffering and surrender and trying to be a Christian, you're going to end up with a very intellectual disconnected, um, non-intimate Christianity because surrender and suffering are hard. And yet if you read the Bible, 
one of the most humble men ever to have lived, apparently, was Job. And he suffered. And when he suffered, you know what he said? Even if God kills me, I'll still trust him. Man. <laughs> and, yeah. But we're like, we're like, God, if I'm suffering a little bit, you must not like me anymore. And God's like, no, that was just me trying to refine your faith. But you started running the other way as soon as it started. And so, mm. you know, we, we, it's no wonder we have a very immature Christianity, each of us, and maybe, you know, the Western Christianity. It's no wonder when we run from suffering and surrender. Mm. Uh, it's, man, I, if, if I sat down and just gave you specifics about the things God's led me into to strip me of control, of needing to be in control and in charge, it has wrecked me over and over. Suffering is, there's nothing like suffering that leads us to surrender. Mm. You know, when you're in situations and it's absolutely out of your control and you feel like you're drowning. And then you're like, God, help me. Mm. And God's like, ah, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> okay, I'm here. I can help. Mm. But when do we get to a position of really feeling in need? In, in the Western world, right? In America, especially. When are we like desperate for God? Uh, we're not. We're like, God, you know, I'd like a new car. That's our desperation. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm being trite, right? And I'm being reductionist. But, you know, if you don't learn desperation, and if you're not desperate, you know, those who hunger and thirst for my righteousness, you know, it's like, they'll be filled. Mm. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. They'll see God, right? We're all poor in spirit, but do you know it? Do you feel that poverty? Do you do you hunger and thirst for God? Like, mm -hmm. are you just like, eh? I like God. When I'm when I'm struggling, he's the he's the break the safety glass, the emergency kind of prayer. He's that's my that's God for me, you know. I, otherwise, I'm pretty good. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally hear that. It's it's meant to infiltrate every part of our life and. <sighs> God is close and God is close in our times of suffering with us, feeling it, experiencing it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's one other place I wanted to go with this because I think it's a vital thing for people to understand. And I think you exemplify this well, that our contemplative life ultimately leads us to life of action and lives mm -hmm. of lives of justice, that it isn't yeah. just about going internal, but it's actually by going internal that we go out right and we see this throughout scripture right like isaiah has this experience of god and then god sends him to be a prophet moses is paying attention sees the burning bush and god sends him to free the people jesus has this experience in the desert he receives the holy spirit and then he is sent to save everyone right so so it leads us to places of justice what has that meant for you yeah i, I like to say it this way you have to go in to go out but what we often see is like, we're trying to apply all this Christian truth. We're trying to go out before we've gone in. Right. And that was true for me. Like, uh, you know, I grew up with, a, I went to Bible college. I was educated in theology, um, more of a minor, uh, but like, I, I think a lot of times in our Christianity, we're trying to apply these things, but we haven't learned how to walk with God. And so we're going out without going in or, and then some people, um, you know, might just be trying to get away all the time with God and they don't care about people. So it's like, it's, it's a balance. You go in to go out and you go back in and out and in and out. And so it's like this balance of, I'm trying to know God, but man, God, contemplation teaches, um, unitive consciousness, right? It's, it's also called, um, 
non-dual thinking, but it's this yeah. idea that God is super, like he's everywhere, all creation. He's super connected to all creation. He's the life in all things, which scripture says, in him we move and have our breathe and breathe and have our being. Sorry. And like God holds all things together. Like God is just so intimate in his creation. And so like, if you're getting deeper connected to a God is, who is deeply connected to all things, it should not lead you into isolation from all things. It should lead you into a deeper connection, a deeper desire for all things, to see all things restored. And so uh, like for me, I am an introvert. I tell people I'm an extroverted introvert. So I am very content. I, if, I, if I'm in a wood shop building some furniture um, and I'm praying to God, I'm pretty happy. But God's constantly like pushing me. And so, so practically speaking, sometimes it's just like I'm driving down the road and God's like, do you see that person? Their cars broke down on the side of the road. Stop. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I'm busy. God, I have stuff to do. He's like, I know. And this is one of them because <laughs> <laughs> I'm in charge. Right. And I'm like, yeah. yes. Okay. Um, I was going to the bank three days ago and I walk out to my truck, which is weird because I went to the ATM going to get some cash out. ATM was down. So I park, go in. When I come out, there's two guys trying to start the car. You know, it's like not turning. And I'm like, Hey guys, I got some jumper cables. They have started them. And that was it. But it was like, that's a Kairos moment where I knew circumstances were woven together. So I would be there at that moment. And I know how to deal with interruption. I know I, I've learned, and this, I've always, I'm not always good at this. I've learned to let God interrupt my agenda. Mm-hmm. And a contemplative is someone, a mature contemplative is someone eventually who gets to the point where they're like, well, forget my, like, what, what good is it to make my agenda when God's just going to break it? Okay, God, let's just let you make the agenda. That's a true contemplative. Mm. And so, you know, we all live our lives. We, you know, we've got to work. We've, we've got kids. We've got bills. And, but it's like living in a different way of saying, but this is your day, God. And this job you've given me, it's from you and this money in the bank. It's yours. And this family is yours. And my life is yours in every second. And so uh, my life is driven by what you say to me. And if you tell me to stop here or go there, that's my agenda. And you still have days where you're like, but God, I'm really late for work or whatever. And God's like, do you trust me to work it out? I asked mm. you to do this. And my, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> but that's the wrestle. And eventually, you know, as we grow, we have less and less of our agenda. And we're just more open, you know. And I mean, that's Jesus' life, right? Some of his most oh, yeah. significant interactions yeah. were these interruptions that were unplanned that other people not only thought were a inconvenience, but against what he should be doing. And those were the spaces where Jesus did that. And that's why I think for me, central to learning to hear the voice of God and recognize the Holy Spirit is it teaches us to see the invitations of the Holy Spirit into the lives of others, into loving others, to seeing others, to hearing what God's inviting you into. Mm-hmm. So good, Jason. So as we leave people here, man, I, we should, we're going to do this again, 100%, because there's so much being left on the table. But yeah. what would you maybe offer as a final encouragement or challenge to people who are on this journey of connecting closer to the voice of God in their lives? I would say read the Bible 
as if God could speak through it. Pray as if you can hear God respond. And I think it's simple, man. You know, it's like if you start out going, I want to hear God, you try to meditate. That's not bad. But look, read the Bible. Pray. Just start to talk to God. The Bible is a collection of stories of people who knew how to hear God. That's a huge. If you're not in that and then you're trying to like, it's almost like you don't want to go to first grade, but you're trying to start in fifth. (laughs) So, man, read your Bible. That's where I started. And then talk to God as if he can hear you and as if you can hear him. That's that's it. Amen. It's a good word. Yeah. Where can people find you and go deeper with what you're up to and what you have done? Easiest way is Google J. Randall Ori. It's a letter J, middle word or middle name Randall, and then last name Ori, O-R-Y. So if you Google that, you get my website, my books, my podcast, my YouTube channel. That's the simplest way. We'll have a link to that in the description below. So if you're interested in that, whatever platform you're on, you should be able to just sort of scroll down or to the side. And in the notes, there is a link. Mm -hmm. Jason, I'm so glad that we were able to sort of... um, enter people into a little bit of these conversations that we have all the time. Um, Brilliant brother. I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on and man, just continual blessing on the journey. Thanks. Bless you too, man. Love it. Hey friends, Phil here again. Thank you so much for joining us in this special episode with Jason Ori. I do highly recommend checking out his site at the link below. It has some really cool stuff going on there. And then friends, if you're looking for ways to go deeper on this journey that we've been talking about, I offer one-on-one spiritual coaching, spiritual direction, where we wrestle through some of the very things that we just talked about in this episode, looking for ways for you to connect deeper with God's word, with the Holy Spirit's movement in your daily life. We can set up a free phone call just to talk about it, to see if it's right for you. You can find that at the link below. And then friends, if you've been blessed by this episode and by the Rua Space Ministry, we'd love if you would consider supporting us on Patreon. This is a place where for just a few dollars a month, you help keep the microphone on as well as gain access to some really cool exclusive content. So friends, thank you so much for being with us here today. Until next time, grace and peace be with you.